other forces. You know, there there are some other growing forces such as low code technology or consumerization of the enterprise, whatever you want to call those things. But really, those those primary trends of are arguably you could reduce it to two trends, which is cloud and you know cloud cloud mobile social might be the three trends. Maybe if you want to throw in crypto, it's cloud mobile social crypto. But you have these really, really powerful forces that essentially get continually remixed into new innovation, and that's going to give us a profound... Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Jeff Meyerson. Jeff, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Jess. So tell us about Software Engineering Daily and the new book. I started Software Engineering Daily six years ago. It's a daily podcast about technical software topics and In the course of that six-year progression, I interviewed some Facebook engineers and felt that during my interviews about Facebook, the engineering practices that we were exploring in those episodes were so profound that we wanted to do an entire book dedicated to covering the company and the construction of software within the company. So that's what became the book Move Fast. Okay. And... Comes out to beginning in July, is that right? Correct, July 6th. Cool. How long did it take to write? Two and a half years. So what are what are some of the main takeaways from the book for people? The biggest takeaway is that a successful technology company should be oriented around discovering and maintaining cash cow businesses. Because by finding a cash cow business line, you allow your firm to escape the competitive dynamics that exist in businesses that do not have a cash cow. So Facebook has done a really good job of discovering and maintaining cash cow businesses. Yeah. What do you attribute their, what are they doing different process why, or what, what are some of the things that they do different to be able to discover and capture those? The, company has a focus on building new software to serve internal and external customers. And the company has a culture to support maximum engineering productivity. So um, the engineering is one side of the equation. And then the culture is uh, the other side of that equation. And the output of that equation is product and product is essentially the foundation of what allows Facebook to be such a powerful business. Yeah. Can you give us an example of that culture? Facebook has defined new processes for management science. One of those processes is called bootcamp. Bootcamp has a a corollary concept called headcount. In Bootcamp plus Headcount, new employees are put into a program called Bootcamp. Bootcamp is where you learn about how Facebook works from an internal perspective. Headcount is a system of defining how much 
engineering and product and customer service talent any given team has access to. And in the process of discovering what you are going to be working on at Facebook during boot camp, <clears throat> you engage with different teams that have headcount. And in this process, it's sort of like the sorting hat in uh, Harry Potter, <laughs> where you are able to have a face-to-face -face with the different business units within Facebook and find one that is a subcultural fit that works best for you. Interesting. When you think about how the rest of us who run companies could, could take lessons from that, what do you think that could look like for the rest of us who want to adapt a methodology like that for our businesses? Facebook was started prior to the revolution in cloud computing and SaaS technology. In the post-Facebook world, you can take most of the products and services that Facebook has had to build as internal tools, and you can use those as democratized tools of innovation. And in doing so, you can gain tremendous and generational leverage for building your company, whatever that company wants to do. Interesting. Well, maybe changing gears for a minute, I'm, I'm interested. What do you feel like have been some of the discoveries from doing a thousand episodes of your podcast that maybe you didn't expect? Software is an ever-changing art form and endurance sport. And becoming good at producing software in a reliable, repeatable manner is a challenge worth taking on because it is a skill set that you can develop deterministically much as you would develop fluency in a language like Spanish. So my goal of starting the podcast was to learn about every avenue of the software industry in as quick a fashion as I could. And as I'm sure you know, doing five or 600 episodes, the information conveyance of the podcast format is powerful and to some extent addictive. So tapping into that has led to a lot of opportunities and insights. Yeah. What's one of them that sticks out? About podcasting itself? No, I mean the content of the conversations you're having with people and you like you make this discovery because I don't know about you, but I feel like it's like I hear it for like the 10th time with such intensity that I realize I didn't understand that principle from somebody, you know, what, what is it like? What have been one of those insights that, that really has stuck out to you from all your interviews? What interests me is the creative process, the creative process at scale, aligning and incentivizing four, five, 10, 20, 600, 10,000 highly intelligent people to produce inventions that change the course of humanity. That to me is the most interesting thing that you can study right now. And, and so, you know, 
I would say like there's been so many microcosmic examples of that, but really the human element of it is really, is really what I get, get a lot of pleasure from, especially over the, the course of six years, I've seen a lot of people who maybe I saw them at the beginning of their career and they struggled and then they eventually succeeded in a big way. And there's like this, this heroic story that you see in entrepreneurship that I really love. <laughs> um, I, I'm interested in, you know, just going through your LinkedIn and seeing, you know, time, time and Amazon and, and eBay and, and, you know, what people may not suspect is your professional poker background. I'm interested in how those mix together and, and have helped you with your career. So poker, I started playing poker when I was 15 years old and I came from a professional magic, the gathering background. And so there were a lot of magic players that were migrating into poker and with poker, I was able to move pretty quickly from the low stakes to the higher stakes games. And what I found was that when you devote all of your time to online poker as a high school student, it makes you both an outsider and somebody that is intriguing to the external eye. So there were, you know, I, I, I didn't really have anybody in my high school that I could talk to because nobody else I knew was playing poker professionally. So I met a lot of people in online forums. A lot of my closest friends in, 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 uh, in high school were people that I met in online forums. And, um, and, and then, you know, I would, I would, I would talk to people in school and they would say, you know, what, you know, where, where, where are you going to college? What are you doing with your career? And I would say, well, I guess I'm just going to play poker. I don't really know what else I would do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, and then the the market, the poker market, after my freshman year of college, basically crashed because there was a port security. I don't know if you know you know the history of no, this, but not at all. There, there was a there was a port security bill because America was at war, and because the Christian right was so prominent, the Christian right was able to tack on this bill against money transfer for online uh, online poker. And it basically crashed the, the online poker market and and led to like, you know, the, the changing the course of all these, the lives of all these poker players that I know, <laughs> including myself, and just led to this tremendous identity crisis. Like, what do you do when, you're, when your profession becomes outlawed? <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me this. So you're in San Francisco now. Is that where you're based? Yeah. Is that where you grew up or where'd you grow up? Austin. Okay. So I'm interested. What's... Growing up in, in Texas, I grew up, I, I feel like I grew up in the Texas of Canada. I grew up in Alberta. Okay. And what do you feel like some of the advantages were growing up there for, for the career you've had now? Growing up in Austin? Yeah. Austin, Austin gave me a hint of what the technology could offer. Uh, Austin is a tech city relative to the average city. Relative to San Francisco, when I was growing up, Austin was definitely not a tech city. Now things are def- are certainly changing. You know, one thing I could say is Austin has given me perspective about how a city can change over time. Austin has become, you know, up there with Miami and maybe Seattle and New York as kind of these burgeoning, like this burgeoning place that may be the next Silicon Valley and, and, you know, 
maybe it could be. That could be really cool. But whether it's next Silicon Valley or not, it's changing and it's growing and it's getting ritzier and and it's like a case study in in urbanization and what happens when you have a huge migration migration in 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 like migratory influx you know i'm interested in your opinion you know how like every every like high school knows like the best the best football player in their high school but somebody even like 50 miles away has no idea right everybody like whoever's your local star you kind of think highly of but you don't know if anybody else does so out here in Utah, you know, we keep having these companies get their billion dollar valuations. And to us, it feels like the tech, the tech sector is like really booming here. And there's all these building, you know, there's so many buildings being built. But do you, do you guys even hear anything about us in Silicon Valley or Utah's kind of an afterthought? Silicon Valley is not really a thing anymore. It's more like an ephemeral cloud-based world that we're living in nobody sure. cares anymore if a company is based in utah or based in san francisco yeah so what i hear are big names and uh, i no longer pay attention to like you know calendly is in what kansas city or something and which is honestly probably an asset to it because it lets it be more underestimated and i'm sure the same is true for the utah based companies they're probably continually underestimated yeah one thing i mean i think that there's the concern of Less of a deep talent, but there's the advantage of a little bit easier to retain them because they're not getting, they're not getting as many, they're not getting poached as easy. At least that's what I hear from my tech friends. The talent pool thing it, it should be irrelevant at this point because any te- like larger technology company should be having a full remote strategy. Yeah. So, what gave you the idea to start Software Daily? I wanted to have as much access to the most interesting people in the world of software that I could have access to. And back in 2015, it was, there were not very many podcasts that were doing that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I've certainly found that I I've get to have these conversations with people that I don't think we're going to take my call otherwise. Right. It's a privilege. Yeah. So I'm interested with such a focus on this, What's something that you see coming in the next few years that that maybe other people who don't study this all day every day aren't seeing? The biggest ongoing transformation that we have is the confluence of the same trends that we've had uh, for the last 10, 10 years or so. And that is the confluence of cloud, social media, mobile technology, arguably the gig economy, and a few other forces. You know, there there are some other growing forces such as low-code technology or consumerization of the enterprise, whatever you want to call those things. But really, those those primary trends of arguably you could reduce it to two trends, which is cloud and you know, cloud cloud mobile social might be the three trends. Maybe if you want to throw in crypto, it's cloud mobile social crypto. But you have these really, really powerful forces that essentially get continually remixed into new innovation. And that's going to give us a profound wave of innovation that, that should continue for an extended period of time, barring some kind of huge economic event. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I think my next question is, when you think about all these kind of superstars of the industry that you meet and you hear the stories, I guess my question would be, you know, what about people today who are, who are listening, who are, who you know, they're not, they don't come from a specific software company. They, they, they're the CEO of a different kind of business, but they're realizing they need to embrace a soft, 
they need to embrace software and a software mentality more. But there's, you know, there's a significant culture to overcome because, you know, their business partners or their employees have 20 year careers in something else. But they realize like, no, this is the wave of the future. We need to start kind of retooling our culture to to say, maybe take advantage of some of those lessons from Facebook that you're bringing up. When people want to start down that path more, do you have any recommendations? That's a great question. There are many, many companies that are encountering what you are talking about. Sometimes that is referred to as digital transformation. And I, I hope that some of those people will buy the book that I wrote (laughs) about about how, how Facebook builds software, because there are some instructive points in there. And there, and there's a lot of points where I say, look, Facebook was able to do this because they're Facebook, but that doesn't mean there's not something for you to learn from it. There's a lot of things that Facebook does that are extreme that, that can nonetheless be sort of proxied in other ways. And, you know, just to give you an example Facebook has this balance of individuality and, 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 and company cohesion. And I think this is basically, this is something that, that, that pretty much every company can do. It's not easy, but it's something that every company can do and, and probably should consider. And that is basically admitting to yourself that the days of you're going to work at IBM for 20 years are over. And we live in the world, you know, Reed Hoffman wrote a book about this within Kazunoka, I think, called The Startup of You. And The Startup of You is, is basically the book that everybody should read right out of college because it's about how you plan your career it, like a startup, which is very much able to react to and roll with the punches and to leverage opportunity as it comes your way. And so how that, how that uh, impacts your average organization, particularly one that is undergoing digital transformation or is, you know, outmoded in some way, that company needs to cater to its employees because the only, especially if you're an older company, your equity is probably not worth that much. Like you're not really going to inspire your employees that way. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to offer them tremendous financial packages because, you know, you're being out competed by people who are offering higher margin services and, 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 and you're just feeling very behind. So what you can do is you can offer your employees a work experience that is differentiated. And, and that work experience can be something with a lot of autonomy, perhaps something that allows them to stand up their own business line within the organization, perhaps 20% projects, perhaps they get to work from home more, perhaps they get to choose new modern tools. But it's not like company offsites and perks and this kind of stuff. It's, it's like, what can you offer to your employees that is differentiated from a management science point of view? Yeah. Um, that's interesting because the media likes to tell us that it's like, you know, ping pong tables or, or, you know, snacks or bringing your dog to work, that that's, that's, what's going to attract people. That's going to retain people. But what you just said, just, it feels so much more meaningful, you know, the idea to do something to do the idea to do something meaningful, meaningful and, and have some autonomy, right? Well, if, 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 if Brad Stone wouldn't have covered Amazon so thoroughly in his books, and, and if I might have had an, an access point to uh, writing a book about Amazon, and if I had not already worked at Amazon, I probably would have written a book about Amazon. And the reason I would have written a book about Amazon is because Amazon is able to do everything that Facebook does and more 
with a fundamentally lower margin starting point. You know, Facebook started with this all digital advertising based business and has kind of gotten into some other stuff, but is mostly still an advertising company. Amazon is this crazy multifaceted company that you can't even draw lines around. And they did it starting with a low margin book sales business. business. And, you know, they've done it essentially through programs where they somehow pay employees less and get them to work harder. Now, that is something miraculous. And what they're doing there as somebody who has worked there is, is they are offering you a seat at the table of the world's most innovative company and the world's most high, high impact company, to be honest. Some people may disagree with me, but you know the invention of cloud computing is as profound as the invention of the smartphone, arguably more profound. And so Amazon did that. And uh, you know Amazon is just this, this very capital efficient low perk business, very inspiring. And, uh, and that's, you know, the, 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 the employee longevity there, the, the Amazon boomerang effect speaks to how addictive the culture. I, I, I fully agree. You know, we like to cut these interviews in half. So we're kind of winding down for part one here, but if people want to pre-order the book, where should they go? Amazon. <laughs> so everybody go look up, go look up move fast, how Facebook builds software by Jeff Meyerson, and and also go to softwareengineeringdaily.com and, and check out everything uh, Jeff has there. And please tune in for uh, part two of the interview here. We're going to be asking Jeff a bunch more questions. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>